Oh God! What is what is the hashtag? There's a trending hashtag that's just hashtag all caps. Miley is coming, but Twitter is so fucking weird. Like you know, sometimes you click on a hashtag and every it, the hashtag is like just a person, and then all the things and used in the hashtag are like, what Why happened is, to blah? Is, are they dead? Is there something are, going on with? It's either it's either dead or did a sexual assault. Dead or did a sexual assault. Yeah. But this is this appears to be a a fan conjuring act. To say, oh my Miley, God, are, Miley is coming. Please, Miley, come. Are the baby witches summer summoning Maybe. Miley? She's coming. She's, She's coming. coming. She's coming. Uh, they don't know what powers they they uh, see. Mess what with. I would love for a baby witch to not hex Miley Cyrus, but to. St- summon her but maybe they don't know summon what they're new doing music? and they try to do a summoning spell and it turns out to be a hex spell mm. and then somewhere you know miley cyrus i don't know stubs a toe or something and then they're like damn she's like oh that hurt they did that guys i really hurt guys Is you that really miley did cyrus's voice? that's a really bad impression uh, guys i can't believe you hexed <laughs> why does your miley cyrus impression sound like a cartoon bear Gosh, I'm guys, that's a really, I can't Cyrus. believe you hexed me. That's so crazy. Why'd you do that? <laughs> that's really, that's what, that's awful. I, yeah, I don't know what Miley Cyrus sounds like. I, she, uh, well, you, you know, the impression that I can do of her is when she smoked salvia and she hallucinated the Hemsworth uh, boyfriend that she had at the time. When she goes, is that Liam? <laughs> is that my boyfriend? Do you remember that? When she was, she smoked salvia out of a bong and it was when she was still in her transitional Disney being Channel weird, phase from being weird from being Disney to uh, being a to freak being a, to being a, a a lesbian straight woman. Have you you never smoked salvia, right? Uh, no comment. <laughs> I I it it doesn't sound like my bag. I don't know. It seems. I mean, she was hallucinating a, a man, mm-hmm. not just any man. Her her well, man uh, Hemsworth. Her 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 ex husband S tier man. Her now her now ex husband. Uh, all right, real quick. Can you hear this? Welcome to And Introducing, a podcast about words, about music. I'm Chris Wade. And I'm Molly O'Brien. And introducing the continued story of every popular song you've ever heard, every number one single by everyone, it's The Song Machine. Welcome to the Hit Factory. Return to the Hit Factory, part two. Revenge of the Hit Factory. We're back to part twos after... We haven't done a part two since 20-frickin'-17. The song machine strikes back. The... the De- the well, it's not the Death Star. Would it be cool if the song machine was well, like a called planet? The Death Star. I mean, it is the Death Star of of pop music. Plan- planet Planet LMFAO. Planet Hit. Planet Planet Hits, baby. Planet Hits. Welcome to Planet Hits. Well, you know what it is? It's like the Rick and Morty. Uh, when all the planets come to hear, or those those big guys come yeah. to hear, all the other planets get and their one best Swedish songs. guy re- rewrites yeah. Ditch, Ditch Swifty two hundred li- times. We, we like we like it. We like what you're doing there. We like what you got. We like what you got. Show us what Show you us got. Show us what you got. Sorry, I'm fret. I it's Molly is has just watched the entirety of Ricky Morty. The uh, last um like two weeks. I like it. I like the show because I'm smart. What can you say? It's a funny show. I got a big brain and I, I got a, <laughs> and you I got, got a sense of humor and I got, I got a big brain and a sense of humor. I'm the total package. Uh, <laughs> uh before, before we get started or get into this part two of the song machine, the hit factory. Um, I do want to apologize because, uh, we're recording this, uh, in the middle of July. It is, uh, 
hot as hell outside. It's a scorcher. And so I have made the I've made the call, the producer's call to not turn off the air conditioning unit in here or else it would be simply too hot to pod. Too hot. Hot damn. And you we can, would have to call the police and the fireman. And the fireman. And we 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 don't call the police. <laughs> yes, we can't and we cannot call the police in this house. We're so, actually close to a fire station, so I could probably just walk and <laughs> knock on the door and be like, fire? I'm sorry, we have overheated from it's potting. Hot. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, can you, it's a one-way ticket to jail. It's yes. a false 9-11 or 9-11, false 911 call. I, 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 I couldn't imagine the permanent shame of having uh, getting heat stroke during podcasting. Well, that you wouldn't have to tell anyone. You would eventually, only, it would get out. You would eventually get out, and then you know your and name my would reputation be would be ruined. Yeah, <laughs> we're trying to keep it cool, cool, calm, and collected. Keep it three hundred. Keep it three hundred, like the Romans, like the Romans. Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I have a commitment to the top audio fidelity convenience will allow. Yeah, I think that's all you can do in in this world. Yes. All right. So that that's my disclaimer. If you can hear the air conditioner in the background. Uh. Anyway, what are we doing here today? We're at we're part two. Of our Odyssey, our pop music, modern pop music Odyssey, talking about uh, John Seabrook, John Seabrook's book. Oh, oh, I'm going to fuck it up. Is it The Hit Machine Inside the Song Factory? I have it written down as The Song the Machine, song inside, machine the inside, inside the Hit Factory. Now, no smoke on John Seabrook, but I asked you this after we finished recording while I was typing up the, the final episode copy for this. Yes. Like, did these refer to anything specific or did he make up both phrases? Well, the hit factory is a thi- It's a co- you know, that's like the Brill building. Sure. Phil Spector's but wall nobody of sound. Nobody ever referred to Motown. this particular like loose confederation of the Chi- producers. Swedish Chiron studios as, as a hit factory or a song machine or a song machine. No, it's cool. It's cool. I'm just saying that the, the, the title of this book, you know, we love, Memoirs that have subtitles or colons in the title, as almost all of these do. Music books. Yes. You got to have a colon. But this might be the most tautological one we have since both of these refer to the same thing, which is itself and nothing. That's why it's so hard to remember, remember. it as opposed to, say, um, the Travis Barker. Can I say, like, danger music and, and drums, 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 drums? That's that's how you write that's a colon, catchy. baby. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think maybe in this case, we could have struck the colon. And that's just me giving some edits to a New Yorker <laughs> staff writer. Well, I New feel Yorker. like maybe he was just like on the phone like being like, I was thinking for the title of the book, we would just call it the song machine and the editor being like, well, wait, what's the song machine? And he's like, you know, you know the, the hit, hit factory. factory. And they were like, well, what's, what's, a hit what's the hit factory? factory? It's, it's the song. It's the machine where they make the songs. Right, right. But where do they make the machine? Well, in the factory. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, if that's the book we're talking about <laughs> right. today. Where did we li- last leave off our story? There's so much material in this. We couldn't squeeze it into one episode. Last we met, uh, it was the sort of nadir of the initial bubblegum group, pop group, and Britney Spears as a solo artist. Uh, boom time. So basically right around the turn of the millennium. And then what really socks things in the gut is uh, file sharing, the development of Napster. Oh, Napster, the dastardly Napster. The dastardly Napster. Did you ever have a Napster? Oh, account? I definitely had uh, Napster. I had poor internet when I was a kid. Um, the internet was not the best. Like I think one several megabyte song would take, you know, days. So my, I had like cooler friends who had um, Napster. Eventually, I got my hands on some LimeWire. Yeah, I also had LimeWire. Second gen, right? And then, and then finally, uh, Kazaa. Kazaa. And then finally, porting over to Torrents in general. Kazaa, starring Sinbad. <laughs> or was it the other one? Shaq. Uh, Sh- uh, Shazam, starring Kazaa. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, I mean, the Napster one, I mean, it was a revelation, but it also was, I very fondly remember, you know, you would find one song, you know, Nirvana, Bleach. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, not knowing, like, is that a song? Is it an album? And you set one thing to download and then, uh, you know, get it up on the parent's computer late at night being like, I'm just signing off my email and get one song set up to download and then yeah. maybe come back in 18 hours and you've got that going on. But then you got it. You used to have to pay money for it. That's so crazy. It's almost like mining Bitcoin now it that is, I think yeah. about it. The sheer processing power of your computer. Probably, you probably could have been making some mad Bitcoin at the time. And then, um, of course, I can't mention Napster without mentioning the crop of like weird novelty songs that permeated Na- Napster that everybody seemed to know specifically like through that. Oh, I'm I think sure, I might have missed this wave of culture. I'm with sure my slow you would. Uh, mostly like, uh, I mean, there was a, a weird thing of like mislabeled things that it was like every novelty song was labeled Weird Al, even if it was like somebody <laughs> singing a, a normal pop song just in a Yoda voice. Or something. I'm vaguely but I'm also recalling, thinking about oh, this, which I'm sure you are aware of. Oh. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is not the so first time we played this on the podcast. Really? Oh, yeah. We were, we we were, were talking, talking about, about how white, we think this is... White covers of, of rap songs. Damn it. I can't believe that this was... Uh, this is the second time I bring up this song. But this is very... This is... I would call this song Napster Core. Anyway, this is the Gord's cover of Snoop Dogg's Gin and Juice because right. it's like, uh, you know, it's funny when, when white people do black things. Right, it's hilarious. Um, but, uh, you know, black culture is inherently a novelty. I'm vaguely remembering, I don't know if anyone remembers the band Guster, but I'm remembering the most popular Guster song, which was called like, I'm going to write you a letter or like, I'm going to write you a book. And instead of the lyrics, it was meows. Sure. So someone like meowed the whole thing, got a hold of the backing track and meowed it. So like, I assume that was a yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of just novelty junk floating around there. And of course, all the Metallica. They got very. Do you remember the Crazy Frog? They they had to pray to Saint Anger. Oh yeah. Remember uh, the Crazy Frog of song? Of course, the Crazy was Frog. Was that song. did that come up from file sharing, or was that some other weird force of nature? I feel like that was a little later. That no, that came out of like ringtone culture, which yeah, was yeah. like the second right. half of the odds. That's right. Oh my god, anyway. ringtone. Oh boy. Ringtone culture? I can't believe I just said that. That's not a real thing. That is a real thing. That's a full example. I can't believe... Turn this shit off. uh, I can't believe this this, takes so much mental purchase in my mind that I've played it on this show twice without thinking about it. I think it is... um, I mean, it's clearly influential. It's a certain mood, you know? Yeah. It's the the cousin of um, uh, white girl ukulele hip-hop songs, you know? Uh, anyway, so Napster comes in and completely decimates the recording industry. Once you could charge $20 for a CD and now you can charge $0 for a file. Yes. Uh, everything is digital. Everything doesn't cost any money anymore. No one wants to go back to the olden days where you pay for music. But if you're some like vinyl. Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to like ever have sympathy for the record industry because it's not like any of the recording artists were ever getting paid. Yeah. But it is because it is funny to think of an entire industry that's uh, allowed to uh, that was permitted for so long to basically only sell in bulk. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could get singles and stuff, but if you would, but you know, it was either 10 songs or no songs. Yeah. Ma- imagine buying a pack of 12 items and yeah, yeah. you only like or want one, yes, but you've got to get the other 11. Mm-hmm. So yeah, no, that's the other thing it did is that it totally broke up hits. Yeah. It's no longer, they both hits needed. They absolutely needed to drive album sales before, but then hits needed to be the vehicles basically to, 
propel every other aspect of an artist's money making. So the hits are what drives the touring, the radio right. play, right. merch sales, yada yada yada. So we we all we all know how pop music was basically destroyed and then reborn again. But let's get it a little into a, cur- a crucible. Wire now. I like to call it uh, <laughs> the. The other thing that was happening around the swing of uh, 2000, 2001 was uh, a veering in overall sonic trends. And John Seabrook talked Yo, to... wait. Are we talking about dispatches from the Loudness Wars? We're not talking about the Loudness Wars. Sorry. We'll talk about the someday Loudness we'll Wars about someday. The loudness wars. Um, don't, don't get compressed yet. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Dear Maribel, I've been fighting the, loudest, the Loudness Wars for... These are three odd years. When will my husband come home from the loudness war? I fear that if I do not leave soon, I too will become compressed. (laughs) And my fidelity will suffer a permanent loss. Oh, no. (laughs) Um, uh, No, the the overall pop music trends, as uh, spoken by this radio program director named Guy Zapolian, Great name. Um, he w- he basically said that there's like three three different segments of mood in pop radio. There is pure pop, which is just like middle of the road standard, like everyone likes it, right? Mm-hmm. And then that will edge into the doldrums when it gets too bland, basically. Yes. And then the doldrums, once we've been in the doldrums long enough, you go into the extremes. And the extremes are what, you know, uh, pop trends then turn into when things need to be exciting again. Mm-hmm. And from the extremes, the market is always seeking out, again, the pure pop the pure center. The pure pop sound. Because that's what sells the most, makes the most people happy. Right. Um, so, like, if you think about it in larger terms, the early 90s were in the extremes of, like, grunge and miserableness. And get gangster rap. Gangster rap, yep. And you get into the middle and late of the 90s, and that's Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, Britney Spears, super pure pop. Then you start getting those like clones and second tier and third tier copies, like the ones that Lou Pearlman was trying to keep up his Ponzi uh, scheme. Your 98 degrees. Your 98 degrees. Is, no offense to my now dear uh, soul sister, Jessica Simpson, but her music was not. <laughs> it was not. It wasn't groundbreaking. It wasn't. Pop. There was a reason why they call uh, Britney Godney. Yeah. She it was, was not God tier prop. Yeah. It was so like everything is get gets watered down. And then at the turn of millennial, you have Eminem, you have Marilyn Manson mm-hmm. coming into prominence. Y- your limped are, biscuits. Your limped biscuits, new metal. So yes. yeah. Uh, 50 cent. Uh, uh, also bringing gangster rap back. Basically. Link, Lincoln park. <laughs> I love, I really Lincoln park had great hooks. I guess I never really listened to them. You, you, the radio tunes. There's good shit there. Yeah. Um, so at basically all the, all the radio stations were freaking out being like, Eminem scares me. <laughs> like, could I we- hate that all the kids seem to want to listen to is this angry young man who comes on the radio and tells me how much I suck. <laughs> the, the FCC won't simply won't let him be. <laughs> um, and then also, so this, the kind of bubblegum Swedish songwriting has fallen out of favor. Sure. So all the Chiron studios, guys, uh, Max Martin, uh, et cetera. Yo, uh, Shady, Shady should have done an album with Max Martin. Fuck it. It would have been great. He, he has great could. hooks. He still could. And maybe, oh, I want to know if he has. We'll figure that out later. Will you Will you look that up? Yeah, I'm Googling Eminem, Max Martin. I mean, Eminem tends to work with, there's another songwriter whose name I'm forgetting now, but someone who like writes the hooks because he does a lot of like female sung hooks with his, um, mm-hmm. with his rapped verses. Anyway, 
uh, 9-11 also happened as it as it does, as it did. Uh, and one of the negative effects for Sweden in 9-11 is that people literally didn't want to fly to Sweden anymore. Sure. Isn't that funny? <laughs> well, it's Just not air, fun. air travel yeah. is, is so much of a hassle that they're like, yeah, well, I'm going to find someone in New York. Why won't they come to the Swedish studio anymore? <laughs> it's safe here. Uh, uh, T.I. song, That's All She Wrote, which was released January 2011. Uh, is produced by Dr. Luke and Max Martin and features vocals from fellow American rapper Eminem. Got it. But I think that's the closest he's gotten to to, to touching these Swedes. So yeah, he wasn't. He didn't. He didn't touch the Swedes intimately. No. This is more of a second hand. He didn't. He didn't allow the Swedes into his heart. Yeah. Well, there's still time. Literally, there's yes. so much time. Uh, as John Seabrook says in these times, he says times were dark, racial profiling, enhanced interrogation techniques, and a push toward war with Iraq based on far- false intelligence. I kind of, you kind of forget all, how fuck it was. Yeah. It was really bad. The mood was bad in like two thousand. Of all the negative downsides of the war in Iraq, the decline of Swedish pop music was one of them. <laughs> I we just throw it on the heap of things to lament about yeah. that world historical tragedy. Millions of yeah, millions of uh, millions of dead people but also um nobody uh, would fly to stockholm to produce these slick songs anymore uh so you know the culture makers of america are like we need and this is like uh tv programming and record labels they're like god damn it we need something fucking fun and nice for the families to enjoy at this time this is this is low-key our 9-11 in music part two episode yeah it really is and i and it's also this is the connecting arm between 90s pop and 2000s and, pop. and 10s pop, yeah. which is American Idol. Oh, yes. American this Idol. Is, well, this is very much a you got to go away to come back thing. Yeah. I mean, and that's what you're talking about, those cyclical natures of the pure pop to the extremes. Mm-hmm. It's like 9-11 certainly is a triggering event to move into the extremes because uh, people, you know, are upset. I'm upset. Uh, as Matt Chrisman pointed out on our last 9-11 ep- uh, episode, there was kind of this omnidirectional but targetless anger in the late 90s because everything was so, like, nice. We were... <laughs> but we, history had ended. People were told that, like, you were basically supposed to be reaping all the shit yeah, that yeah. you had been sowing. Sowing? Me, me, me sowing. Oh, fuck yeah. This is great. <laughs> me reaping. Oh, oh man, man. What the fuck? fuck no. <laughs> uh, and the... the, 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 the move away from pure pop is, is or the, this cataclysmic event and the move away from pure pop is certainly, uh, I, I, this is like the, 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 the substructure that is, that is yes. causing all these things. And American Idol was an effort by, you know, some of the biggest biz maker music and entertainment business people in America to try to like normalize stuff. <laughs> Let's have a nice competition for the kids. For clean cut young people to come sing some nice songs. Some, sing some nice, you know, bat like nice chill ballads. No one's singing, uh, Marilyn Manson, the dope show. <laughs> that would be honest though. If like Clay Aiken got up there and was like, we're all stars now in the dope show. I would love to hear Clay Aiken Against cover the, of the, the dope, dope show. show. Oh man. Um, was and- American Idol. Now this is a British import, right? This is a British import. This was originally called pop idol mm-hmm. and Simon Fuller co-created it. Simon Cowell was involved. Simon Cowell is like a British A&R man. Okay. Um, and so what it's funny because like, do you remember? I mean, do you remember the introduction of Simon Cowell into American no, pop see, culture? Everyone culture- was like, "Oh my God, he's so mean!" Mean. 
Uh, the, the, well, it's this time that we had to import our mean people from the Brit from Britain. We had no mean people because all our we mean had, people like, were in Congress. Hey. <laughs> we had like neutered them, I guess, from our pop culture life. Like everybody had to be like, uh, nice uh, and friends. What's his name? Daily. Carson uh, Daly. Carson Daly, who's just like literally like a cardboard cutout of a of a nice man, like in like Josie in and the jo- I was gonna say yeah. literally in Josie's Pussycats, <laughs> he is a cardboard cutout. Um, so we had to import some some meanies some to British, whip us into shape. Some British assholes, yeah. Um, <laughs> and so American Idol was a Fox show. Originally, I guess networks didn't even they weren't even like fighting over it. Like everyone passed on it, and then somehow Fox got involved, and we're like, yes, this is good. Fox actually. was always the, the 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 network of last resort for any of these, these things. It's like, yeah, I guess we could shove in an episode of American Idol right between, after the like, Swan. Can, can midgets pull this jumbo jet uh, more than an elephant? And yeah, the show where we uh, encourage women to get plastic surgery competitively so men will love them. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. And in between, Kelly Clarkson can sing her nice little Kelly songs. Clarkson. Oh, Kelly Clarkson. Uh, no, this is a huge cultural blind spot for me because I was did you too watch cool his- okay. and wasn't into that soft shit for normies you you little badass you <laughs> I, I watched the first probably four seasons of american idol live on television no absolutely. what else did i have to do no i don't i don't think i have never hang watched, out with my friends <laughs> i've never oh watched God. a full episode of a reality music contest show so the thing about music comp- singing competitions is that they are never going to favor artistry they are always going to favor style over any kind of like person plus talent like mm-hmm. it's all it's that's why singing you know the winners of singing competitions are always have that really like melismatic uh you know kind of riffy having the range type of voice yeah as opposed to you know i don't know being slightly more interesting but maybe less glamorous in mm-hmm. the presentation of one's voice but we have kelly clarkson she was obviously the first american idol she so flew under the radar that her initial audition wasn't even televised <laughs> Uh, which is kind of amazing. Do we want to watch some some things I, from I her? I would love you to pull up uh, Kelly like her Clarkson audition. initial audition. Yeah, I, I have that right here. Great. And Kelly is going to need that plan. Okay. Hello, Kelly. Hello. <laughs> How old are you? I'm a big fan of you, by the way. Thank, thank yeah, you very I'm much. I'm 20. I just turned 20 this April. Oh, so, happy birthday. Cool beans. <laughs> what are you going to say? Cool today? beans. Cool express beans. yourself. Bye, Madonna. Great. Alrighty. You don't need diamond rings or 18 karat gold. Fancy cars uh, that go very fast. You Lord. know they never last. No, no. Especially talking about what you diamond need rings. Is yeah. a big strong hand to lift you to your higher ground. Oh. <laughs> Good job. Cool beans. <laughs> Randy. Wow, she said cool song. beans twice. Paula Abdul. Good job. Oh, come on. <laughs> See, they love this, right? I can't help it if I'm so famous, man. Oh, yeah, so Randy Jackson worked on that song. He was, like, involved in the production of that nice. song, apparently, which I don't even think... I bet you didn't know that. How would she even know who she was auditioning for? Oh, but she's so sweet and funny during the audition. She's just so normal. She's, a na- she's, she's so normal. Yeah. She's not like a freak. And then she's also that's why they didn't bother with her in the initial like lead up to it. And then by the end, she was the one. And Randy's now standing. All right, we get we can get out get out of this. Uh, also, I mean, the real king shit for Kelly Clarkson there seems like zero nerves. Yeah, coming in immediately playing games with fucking Randy Jackson. Yeah. Uh, and stuff. Honestly, kudos to her because that's a, uh, that's the kind of stuff that gets you from being like a chick with a good voice 
yeah. to, uh, to, stark, stark to people quality. behind the desk being like, oh, I, I can work with this person. Yeah. This person's a star. Well, it's funny. So she she kind of flew under the radar and then by the like the middle of it, I think everyone realized like, oh, this is probably the person. Although, of course, she was up in the final against Justin Guarini. Well, we later got to go from Justin to Kelly. Yes. Uh, which was the the official handing as, off as is right as is right and good. Yes. <laughs> uh, but she. What's interesting is that each of those competitors for the final got their own original song written for them to perform. Like they did obviously covers all season, mm-hmm. and in the finale they had an original song. Hers was written by uh, some alumni of Chiron Studios. Aha! Uh-huh. Swedish people getting back in the mix, and that was a moment like this. Can we listen to a yeah, little bit of that? Yeah, let's listen to a little moment. A moment like this. Yeah. A moment like this by Kelly Clarkson off Thankful. Yeah, that's the other thing. Her like, first album is called Thankful. Thanks for voting Len- for me. Thank you for voting for me. I'm thankful I won. What if I told you it was all meant to be? Would you believe me? Would you agree? It's almost two guitar lines. <laughs> they do love that Spanish guitar shit. Yeah. When I tell you love has come here and now, a moment like this, some people wait. It almost sounds more Diane Warren y. Yeah, this is uh, a little less Swedish. Yeah, this also is, I feel like it sounds like it's obviously made to just like give somebody a vocal showcase. Yeah. Yeah, it's more of an exercise than a song. Yeah, I mean, this sounds like a, you know, a song that would maybe be a hit in like 1989. Right. Yes, it's kind of timelessly yeah. cheesy. <laughs> yeah. uh, but to me, I would say snooze. Yeah. Uh, also, live drums, not the processed, uh, you know, like we were talking about last uh, yeah. last time, the right. super, the super uh, uh, tight drum machine pattern. Uh, it's almost, it's kind of more of a mature song, you might say, yeah. than like uh, sexy songs for babies. Yes. Uh, I'm I'm sorry, Kelly, but uh, call me back when you've got Since You Be Gone. <laughs> well, speaking of, meanwhile, Max Martin has come to America. He's come to New York, hanging out in New York. If with you want guy. to come to me, I will come back to you. I will come to, I mean, also a Swedish guy coming to New York in like 2002, kind of a bummer of a city back then. You know, with the whole downtown and ruins and such. I, I think guess. He, I think I mean, he's lived DIY, in DIY scene's just starting to ramp up, and yeah. Brooklyn's just getting hot, and you know, uh, you know, UCB is kind of in its golden age. <laughs> so, uh. Uh, speaking of comedy, he meets uh, Lucas Gottwald, Lukas Gottwald, uh, who is a guitarist with the SNL House Band. Okay. Uh, this guy eventually becomes Doctor Luke. All right. He's a started as a guitarist for the SNL house. Isn't that band. crazy? I didn't know that. Just um, playing like generic blues riffs over pictures of Anna Gasteyer. <laughs> Molly Shannon. <laughs> Daryl Hammond. Uh, the, so he, at this point, we'll talk a little bit more about Dr. Luke later because he has his heyday a little later. Yes. Um, but Dr. Luke at that point is basically, he's an aspiring p- producer. Do they meet at like a Swedish American mixer? I don't know. I don't know what what the actual like location is, but um, 
they they kind of hovered around each other. I, I think Dr. Luke obviously knew about Max Martin's reputation, um, but didn't want to push too hard. But they bonded when they were listening to the song Maps by the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. Okay. And they said, they both were like, fuck, I wish this song had an actual big chorus. Mm-hmm. And that's the t- the first time they wrote they wrote a song together. And that song was Since You've Been Gone. Since oh You've Been God, Gone is, is Maps Max- if it had a big pop chorus. Should we, I mean, should we listen to Maps? Yeah, let's listen, listen to Maps. Here's a little bit of Maps. Since you've been gone. I'm going to skip in a little bit. Oh, say, 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 My joke was... Was going to be that Lukash was a big It's Alive fan for people who listened to last episode. I mean, this song is great, but it's definitely one of my favorites. A mood. It's not. I mean, it explodes at the end with that yeah. guitar solo. Yeah. But it's pretty mellow. Here's the thing: we started out friends. Okay, wait. I so I have a, I have a um. That's interesting. I, I want to pull something up about this. Okay, so here. All right, so we're gonna go straight into Sensei Bing Khan. That drum sound. It's back, baby. It's back. It's artificial. I mean, holy hell, what a chorus. They don't love you like I love you, Matt. They don't love you like I love you. Once I heard this, I was like, oh, shit. This is their cousins. Yeah. Well, okay. Now I have to play, play you something I've known about for years, but I did not know what its provenance was, and I have no idea if this is Ted Leo. Okay. Uh, Ted Leo knowing this story or putting this together himself. I just want to be with you. Maybe you never felt that way. But since you've been gone, I can't breathe for the first time. I'm so moving on. Yeah, yeah. Hit that note. Cool. Wait for it, them. I wonder if he knew. So, so this is Ted Leo performing on what looks like a uh, like uh. Maybe in his studio or something, or for like some kind of like AV club thing, something like that. Um, and I had this as like a bootleg MP3 
in like 2006 or something, and I always thought that this was very funny. Yeah. But putting this together, I have no idea if he knew that that was the origin story or if he just, if he just intuited because he's a musician and was yeah. like, oh, yeah, these are like the these same are the song. the same song. That's very cool. They don't love you like I love you. Anyway, Ted Leo rocks. I don't know if we will ever like have a real... Uh, opportunity to talk about him but he is uh one of the coolest kindest musicians of his era oh go look up ted leo um funnily enough kelly clarkson did not like since you've been gone she did not like working with max martin uh she did not like being in the studio with him and she insisted to clive davis she's like i don't she had originally said i would like to because this is off her second album Mm uh I want to write my own material. Like she, in her mind, she is, and I think that's valid. She is not just a singer. She's a songwriter. A songwriter. Okay. She's an artist. Yes. Uh, and she went to Clive and said this stuff and Clive was like, oh, honey, no. Yes. Uh, like, <laughs> yep, you will. You, you, uh, you, you have, you are, <laughs> get into the Eva, Eva Kelly. You are part of the machine. <laughs> you do not have, you do not have choices in this matter. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's funny that, bless her for trying. I mean, she, she shared a st- the story that basically ended with her. Well, actually Clive said that she ended up crying in at his office, just like upset that she mm-hmm. like did not want this song on her album. She wanted to write her own music. She remembers it differently. She said she cried after sharing a song, which ended up going on to be a hit uh, called behind these hazel eyes. That's a, that's a song. Yeah. I'm like, was it behind these hazel eyes or like something about, uh, because of you, because of you, which okay. is a song she wrote about her dad. Uh, and she she said, "I didn't cry because I didn't want since you've been gone on the album. I cried right, because, because I played I my song and he didn't like it." This is but all to say. Eventually, uh, Kelly got enough clout to do her own songs, and they weren't as successful. Mm. She that's the well, thing. I mean, she had been a success. She had become successful at that point. But yeah, yeah. Yes. But the that I mean that song was a smash, uh, like a look, huge smash, and brought her from just American Idol winner to pop star in her own right, thus giving her the license to then on her third album, be like, I want to write a bunch of moody ballads. Look, a lot of no one bought them. A lot of people might beat themselves up saying, why can't I write something as good as since you've been gone? And I would like to say who has. Yeah. Clive. That is, is, that is, that is one of those, those absolute pinnacle tier pop songs. Uh, Clive Davis's only theory. And I think it's unfortunately accurate. The, the man has been in business for like what? Eight million years. He's the South African guy who, or was that another Clive? That's Clive. Um, that's a different Clive. Too many Clives. Too many Clives <laughs> in the music industry. Please. Yeah. Some of them leave. Pick. Yes. Pick you get like two yeah. tops. Clive. I, f- I forget now. It's literally my notes, but I, yeah, yeah. Clive's, uh, theory is how do you keep a pop career going? A continuity of hits. Yes. That's it. Yeah. And, need- I mean, I say that's it, like it's easy. It's not easy, but if you, okay, if you have a hit in front of you and you don't put it out, you are you're fucking yourself. If you look, look, if you're trying to play the barest, bare bones pop stardom thing, and you want to be strategic about it, you need one top ten hit every eighteen months. I would say, yeah, at the farthest. Yep. If you want to keep it going. Yep. It is. I mean. I wish there Even was another way Probably to, 12 months. to survive as like a genuinely popular musician as opposed yeah. to just a good one, but there isn't. The hit continuity must be preserved at all costs. At all, literally all costs, including uh, pop artists. D- your artistry, your dignity, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, so around this time, basically because of the economy, 
of hits, which is saying that you you absolutely need one on your album. And in fact, you really need like three in order to be a successful person who can sell enough uh, digital singles now to survive. <laughs> so hits are more important than ever. Like to call them. Hits are more important than ever. What do you do in capitalism when you need a lot of something uh, in order to create them at low price? Well, you make a factory and you literally just try to, it's not about creating the best thing. It's about it's, creating a lot of things. It's about creating a lot of things and then one of them will stick. And so that is basically the come up of what uh, John Sieber calls track and hook songwriting. Uh-huh. And we, I talked about this a little bit before, but because Chiron Studios was in some ways a pioneer of this is that a song isn't a, a song written by one person. It might be a hook written by someone and a chorus written by someone else and a pre-chorus written by another guy. It was a real replaceable parts uh, yeah. mass production. Yeah. Which uh, yeah. should be said, uh, the, or, the original origin of the track and hook style of songwriting is... Um, uh, in reggae music because uh, reggae songwriters used to make like one track and they would give it to like 10 people. Yeah. And they make dubs and they would. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that's, that's the origin of it. Black people invent literally everything <laughs> that is good or important in music. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's true. Uh, Including whacked out production techniques. Yeah. Like all the, I, I someday we'll do a, maybe a dub episode. That would be something I'm interested in because the, the stuff that they came up with in like the Jamaican mu- music industry, just from like a technological standpoint yeah. and like how they went about doing all those things, I find very interesting and leads to some very good, cool tri- trippy music. I wonder if Jamaica is uh like reverse Sweden in terms of like being an <sighs> Island, like an, uh, like a sort of isolated Island where like crazy shit happens. Yeah. I mean, I know Sweden isn't an Island, but it's, it's kind a of peninsula. It's part of a peninsula. I don't know. Uh, So the biggest, I think one of the biggest beneficiaries of the track and hook songwriting method is Rihanna. So we're going to talk about Rihanna. Sure. Uh, Do you know about Rihanna's origin story at all? Uh, No. I I actually know almost nothing about Rihanna other than that uh, she seems really cool and uh, she has a billion hit songs. Those are the main two things that you need to know about Rihanna. Rihanna has been... She likes weed. She (laughs) likes... Is that why she's good? I'm like, I'm truly thinking, of, is that is this why she's managed to not to she evade all the pressures? Or I mean, it's not like she, there's plenty of pressure on her, but can you just turn that off by being like, I'm just going to get high? Look, I'm a, f- a fucking famous top tier celebrity singer. Why would I care about anything? Why would I not just smoke weed until another person says, here's some hits for you to sing? Stay, you know, keep... And not that, that she has that little agency, but it's like, look, you've got some hits. I'm going to sing them. I'm Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Rihanna and I'll sing your hit. Uh, yeah, no, the, stay away. You know, keep alcohol to a minimum. Stay away from cocaine. Obviously, stay away from, you know, the harder opiates. Just smoke a ton of weed. Just be cool. Just be, just <laughs> just, be cool, man. Just be cool like Rihanna. What's Rihanna like? Cool. Cool. Uh... So her origin story is uh, she's discover- discovered, discovered, <laughs> uh, people are always being discovered, aren't, aren't they? Uh, two kind of older songwriters, uh, two men named, uh, last name Sturkin and Rogers. <laughs> so sound like people who were influential songwriters in like 1937. Yeah, right. Right. They, they sound like they were like an old music, like <laughs> writing musicals called who were, like who were kn- Salem Days. <laughs> who were known for their hits. My Lovely Comes Round the Bend. <laughs> Walking About the Gazebo by <laughs> Sturkin and Rogers. Uh, 
So th- these are guys who like they've been in the songwriting field for like a little while. For a while, they had like what I would describe as an aged boy band, okay. where they were Boom. like a boy band in their like early thirties, and it was awkward. Which really one was weird. that? Uh, I I didn't write it down, but uh, I can look it up in a sec. Hold on. What was it like? What were some of the lesser ones? Like O O Town O Town Yeah O Town is a hilarious name because it's orlando town oh they're orlando as well god damn that that city produced so many boy bands oh so sturkin and rogers main basically their main thing before uh before meeting rihanna was reviving donny osmond's pop career oh isn't that interesting that's a weird transition yeah and in between okay their group was called rhythm syndicate (laughs) well look we got to get the antitrust people in there to bust up the rhythm syndicate (laughs) That's exactly what happened. Somebody, somebody put Elizabeth Warren on a uh, on a congressional panel because uh, this rhythm syndicate is really cornering these rhythm markets. They uh, they had a saxophonist in the band. That's the- cool. I like to imagine that it's your standard boy band uh, formulation where it's like, except it's like four guys all singing and dancing and posing, and then one guy off to the side just playing just off saxophone. the side like noodling Lisa Simpson. Um, can we actually look this up? I wasn't planning on asking you to play this, but they had one, one of their hits was called passion, but it was all letters. So it was P A S S I O N in 1991. I'm, lo- I'm looking up rhythm syndicate. The rhythm passion. Syndicate. Is it, it, it only exists as a karaoke track on, on Spotify. Uh-oh, uh-oh. Abort, 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 abort. We, we will leave this up to your imagination. Yeah. P A S S I O N. Just imagine like five white guys from Connecticut who started an, a pop R&B band called Rhythm Syndicate with a song called Passion and whatever that is that's probably it uh, but they both had um, wives that they met in Barbados uh, and so they would often go to Barbados on holidays so- I know <laughs> this sounds w- wild right this is uh, this is sus <laughs> it is uh, so on a trip there in 2003 and that's the other crazy thing they go on their vacations there right but while they're there they scout they scout for talent <laughs> They, they asked the local girls to sing for them. That is literally what they did. And that's how they met Rihanna. Rihanna was in a trio at the time. Um, and she was like basically the cutest best one in the trio. And they basically said, your trio is nice, but we are interested in you. We'll take one, please. One, one Rihanna, Robin Rihanna Fenty, who I got to say, it's so crazy that Robin, the Swede, the, because her name was Robin, we have Rihanna. Is Otherwise, she named she, after Robin? No, just her name. Rihanna's name is Robin Rihanna Fenty, but they wouldn't want to confuse people with two pop artists. Oh, named Robin. Name, wow. Okay. Yeah. That crazy. That is Robin Fenty does not have the same ring to it. I'm sorry. R- I mean, Rihanna Rihanna's sounds way per- cooler. Um, so uh, this is how John Seabrook put it. He said, uh, uh, Fenty didn't write songs or play an instrument. Her main qualification as a singer was that she wanted to be one so badly. It was an urgent need to escape from the anxieties of a violent home life into the illusion of security and boundless love that a life on stage seemed to offer. Well, that is a ominous dis- description of becoming a pop star. That desire, more than any inborn talent, is what fans will connect to, and that was what record men look for in a new artist. It's the one thing they can't manufacture. Gotta want it. I thought that was an interesting. You can make songs. You can make people sound good. You can teach them to dance. Yes, you can restyle them. But people have to want it. Yeah. And if they don't want it, it it sucks and it's bad. And if they want it really bad, that's I thought it was just interesting. Like that's what people connect to. Yes. They want someone to want it. I, yeah. P- I want P- you to want it. Yeah. 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 
yeah, so Ro- Robin came from a, a troubled home background. I believe her father was an alcoholic mm. who uh, was violent toward her mother. Mm. And she was like, I would like to do anything to not be, be in my here. house. Yes. Uh, so they they got Rihanna on her on their, you know, roster docket, whatever. <laughs> uh, they kind of you know, had her start auditioning and rehearsing and stuff. And they got her an audition with Jay-Z. Jay-Z was the then president of Def Jam Records. Right. And Jay-Z saw something in her as the, as Strunk or what's it? Sturkin and I'm like, Strunk and White. Sturkin and Rogers did. <laughs> Strunk and White. And he wouldn't literally leave, let her leave the building until she signed a contract. And the way he put it was like, you are either leaving through the front door with a signed contract or through the window. I that's is that supposed to sound cute? So what? Jay Z threatened her until he, he signed with her. Yeah, he basically, you know, did a like nice pop star would be ashamed if something, something were to happen to it. Well, he's a, he's a businessman. What? He, he's not a he's not a businessman. He's a business. He's a business man. He's in the business industry. Uh, so he signed Rihanna. I, I guess Rihanna's nascence came at a time when Jay-Z, Jay-Z was basically, I didn't realize this, but he had a reputation for basically giving a shit about his career first and foremost and mm-hmm. not really giving a shit about a career at anyone else at Def Jam. Sure, yes. Which I'm like, yeah, I get it. Again, he's not a businessman. <laughs> he's, he's a, a business, business man. man. So Rihanna was Everyone his who is at Def Jam is in the Jay-Z business and not the other way around. Jay-Z totally. is not in the Def Jam business. No, certainly not. Uh, so Rihanna was his chance to really cultivate an artist, really sure. focus on them, put all of his energy and effort into them. And she benefited from that. Um, but she didn't really have like, she had a few, she did two albums with like a couple of minor hits, but like no one could really put, get a read on her. I mm-hmm. think uh, the way John Seabrook said uh, is that to her detractors, she was just another wanna Beyonce who sang through her nose and couldn't really dance. <laughs> also, also pretty intense. Yeah, I honestly remember having this kind of confusion when Rihanna first came out. Because, you know, I guess Ponder Replay was the first thing. And then, it, like, SOS and Umbrella came pretty quickly afterwards. And I keep on remembering, like... Because this is a time when I was pretty detached from, like, pop music stuff. And yeah. I would see her and be like, so wait, is this somebody who was, like, big in another country? Who, like, ported over here? Yeah. Because uh, it was very much, like, presented like, here's a new star. Here she is. And I was like, I was old enough to be like, I don't remember this from earlier as opposed to (laughs) like, you know, when Britney Spears came out, I was like, I don't remember anything earlier because I was a a tiny child with but a baby's mind. Yeah. I was informing pop culture methods. Britney Spears has always been here as far as I'm concerned. The Britney Spears has always been here. (laughs) Um, But like, yeah, Rihanna was like one of the uh, uh, first things that got really big where I was like, I don't have any context for this. Totally. And she was also, once again, she was a teenager. And the answer was, there was no context. She was like found singing on a beach in Barbados and like packaged up and delivered to Jay-Z. And then Jay-Z turned to America and was like, you here is the Rihanna. Thank you. Thank me for it. Yes, totally. Uh, Exactly. And it wasn't until, so Umbrella was really, and at least that's what I remember when I was aware of Rihanna is that Umbrella was the song that made, that was like, this is, this is Rihanna. She's, now Rihanna is here. She's the good girl gone bad. Well, of course, I liked SOS because... Soft Cell. Tainted Love Sample, the Soft Cell. Who couldn't love it? Biggest pop hit of the 80s. Hey. Nah, that's not true. That's the biggest pop hit, but one of the weirdest ones. Imagine being tasked with punching up Soft Cell. I, look, I just imagine being Soft Cell at the two fucking 
nerds from Soft Cell in, in 2006 and some and Def Jam records, like, records being like, by the way, here's $10 million or whatever. For, whatever. They or probably like, made so much money off this oh, song. Oh, yeah. This song kind of goes, though. But it you totally know why it goes. Because Soft Tainted Cell. Love goes. Don't ask me. Um, one times I feel like a writer oh. I really admire, uh, Molly Young. I remember her once describing Rihanna as having a voice like a zipper, <laughs> <laughs> like that that thing, sort of like gliding and frictionless, but yeah. you know, sort of also standardized without mm-hmm. any any kind of like personality. You know, all zippers yeah. are the same, right? You yes, zip, you zip it up, you zip it down. Uh, so wait, not to belabor the soft sell thing, and I wonder if you'll get into <laughs> it because at the very beginning of this, you mentioned Flow Riders right round, right round, another eighty sample, eighty sample monster pop it as one of the reasons that Seabrook wanted to write this. Is there any discussion of that melding in of heavy sampling? Not really. He doesn't get into sampling, but okay. I and I think that is because if you if you really think about it, the sampling and specifically sampling of older let's say 10 to 20 year old mm-hmm. songs in a new pop song and the sample is the song yeah. Do you know what i mean as i mean that song to, is just rihanna singing over tainted love with all like the bit the trebles and the basses pushed up yeah it's she's doing tainted love karaoke but she yeah. <laughs> goes rogue and makes up her own words <laughs> yes. um and like another example that i would think is um once again rihanna wild thoughts which samples mm-hmm. uh Santana. Yes. Uh, Not even an early Santana. <laughs> like the, the resurgent Santana. Yeah. God, Santana is like a Maria Maria, old. right? Yes. That's that song. Correct. I do uh, want to play a little umbrella because this song goes. Yeah. But anyway, that, that type of pop songwriting where like the sample is the song. Is the he doesn't really song. talk about, but I feel like that's been a thing since. Yeah. Forever. Since Vanilla Ice. Under the uh, the under pressure that he got so much flack for, and honestly, I don't want to be a justice for Vanilla Ice guy, but it sucks that Vanilla Ice was the guy who had to go out there and defend uh, sampling. He did that, that for us. He he did, and he, he had to for eat shit. And I don't I don't think that Vanilla Ice is like Vanilla Ice had to. He's eat not shit. like an unsung hero, or there was any great artistry. But he, it sucks that he was a guy just trying to make music in a new form. And the entire world had to be like, what the fuck are you doing, Vanilla Ice? This is not allowed. And he now, had and, to do that. Yeah, he, and the, di- he died for our sins. He did. He, he, he ate some sins so that we could have songs like fucking uh, SOS. You know who he is? He, he died without glory. He's yeah. like one of the other guys who got crucified at the yes, same time exactly. Jesus did. Yes, he yes. was the guy on the cross to his left being like, I just wanted to rap. <laughs> Rapping is cool. Yeah, anyway, no. uh, Umbrella. <laughs> this song is very good. So is this Rum. is this oh a, a, a a Swedish pop song? No, okay. this is by um, Tricky Stewart. Tricky's the producer. The the Dream, the uh, Dash the dream. dream is yeah. the songwriter, and then Cook uh, Carol K U K uh, produced the vocals, which are obviously very important. Yeah, I mean that you can tell this comes out of a I would say a more hip hop background. Yeah, like the yeah, sample, yeah. The sample, mm-hmm. the sample drum loop, like sampled from it or. Something approaching what would be a traditional like hip hop sample drum loop. Right. God, those drums really go, don't they? Yeah. There's no bass line, they're just like bass tones matched to the kick. 
It's so, it's funny, it sounds so much, but it's still so minimal. Like yeah. that, that is literally just a drum track, one little beeping synth thing, and Rihanna's voice on the. Yeah, it's got like the synth pads in the background. I mean, but still, the monster pop chorus. You gotta have it. You gotta have a chorus. You gotta have a chorus. Gotta and have you gotta have a post chorus. Yeah. Ella, Ella. Hey, hey, hey. This is a perfect pop song. Yeah. Mm. And there this, was something that was distinctly about Rihanna doing the A, 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 Ella, Ella that made this feel unique she to her. Yeah. yeah, she totally sold it. Um, this came up just before... My junior prom, and I remember hearing it at, uh, at prom, being like, "This song's fucking awesome." It's a weird thing where you're like 18 months younger than me, but <laughs> we're somehow going to junior prom when I was a, a junior in college. As a John Seabrook cited a rap genius annotation that said, uh, "Those the Ella Ella Ellas, these syllables made more money than you will ever dream of." Yes, that's what I was saying. It made that song go from something that seemingly anybody could sing to something that, ooh, who's this person who does these syllables? Well, because you know who actually that song was offered to first and it was turned down was Britney yeah, Spears. Britney Spears, who, who would not it? have sold those a a a's. Oh, God. B- bless her and keep her, but um, yikes, that would have been bad. No. That was when she was recording Blackout, which Blackout is an iconic album, mm-hmm. and someone should probably write a 33 and a third uh, book about it. It should probably be me. Pitch it! Okay, uh, but... Uh, fans, please uh, write into Molly to uh, please, <laughs> <Right> please, <here. laughs> please at Molly encouraging her to pitch 33 and a third to write a book because I've been telling her to do this for years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can always self-publish too and just make oh, it real fine, small. Fine, make a zine. Do, <laughs> I'll write, make, write about I'll it. Make a zine, goddammit. Uh, the uh, <laughs> Britney at Blackout Time was not the vibe no. of, <laughs> of Umbrella. Umbrella is like, it's swagger it's swagger you're invoking there's it's rain outside but we have shelter under my umbrella a little innocent but a little naughty and then britney and blackout is like just you know it's me when i've had that like last Mm. shot of vodka i'm just like i don't give a fuck uh blackout was maybe the uh the first instance of when i'm fucked up that's the real me that's the mm, oh boy oh boy uh oh boy (laughs) anyway So uh, Rihanna was also kind of the vanguard of the new strategy as a pop songwriter, which is, or a pop song maker, which is to, you know, fuck, fuck an album singles, mm-hmm. baby singles, just pop out singles. Like you're having babies one every nine months, one, yes. one number one hit every nine months. So that she, she kind of pioneered that. Um, and then one writer who, uh, or a songwriter who kind of like dovetailed with that approach, who, you know, both, created it and benefited from it is Esther Dean. Do you know anything about Esther Dean? Uh, no. She is from Oklahoma. She moved to Atlanta. Uh, she was like kind of musical, but like, you know, she sang, she, uh, it wasn't really clear what she like wanted to do with her life. Like she didn't have a band or like she wasn't trying to like make it as a songwriter, mm-hmm. but she went to a gap band show in Atlanta one night <laughs> and she was singing. <laughs> so this is, this is such a Cinderella story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she goes to a gap band show She's in the crowd. She's singing along to, to their the, songs. To like the funky worm. <laughs> <laughs> or you dropped the bomb on me. I think that's the Gap Band yeah. song. I can't remember if the funky worm is the Gap Band song. Um, 
and she's singing in the audience and who who else happens to be there is uh tricky i'm sorry that the funky worm is the ohio players got it got it um Tricky, the co-writer of Umbrella, mm-hmm. Tricky's there too. He hears her. He notices that she she has kind of like a unique voice and kind of like a presence. And he basically comes up to her and says like, do you sing? And she's like, maybe, yes, I don't know. <laughs> I'm and singing he, right now. And he invited her to uh, his like songwriting studio called Red Zone. And he had her try out as a demo singer. So someone who would sing on the recorded versions that then get pitched to other people. Sure. And literally put her in the booth uh, and then she sang some shit. He gave her some tracks to basically like freestyle riff, yeah. riff over. And uh, according to John Seabrook, she turned out to be a hook spitting savant. Somehow she could absorb the beat and the sound of a track and distill its melodic essence. Her hooks were more like vocalized beats than lyrics and they didn't communicate meaning so much as feeling and attitude. Hell yeah. And so this is, I, I think that's the signature change in songwriting from the random swinglish of the nineties to the like s- weird syllabic, like nonsense of the two thousands and 2010s yeah. where it's what, not about what you're time? saying. It's about like what you're trying to make people yeah. feel, whether it's like sexy or like mad or uh, like party fun. What, what is this person's name? Esther Dean. Esther Dean. Um, Esther Dean ended up in pitch perfect, by the way. Good for her. Uh, this movie's made a lot of money. I hope she, I mean, she's hopefully making a ton of money. So just literally from going to a Gap Band show, she's discovered, she leaves, she meets this guy, she goes to his studio and she leaves with like a three-year contract for like a shit ton of money. And exclusively around songwriting where she will come in over beats and like riff out a hook and then that hook becomes a part of a melodic part. Yeah, exactly. Um, So for example, I'm trying to think of what another... um, what an example of her songwriting is. Sorry. Oh, uh, so she wrote for Rihanna alone. She wrote S and M rude boy. And what's my name, which is just, you know, will you play? What's my name? Oh, what's my name? Oh, no, no. What's my name? Oh, no. Ooh, we got the passive aggressive Drake. I heard you good with them soft lips. <laughs> oh, yeah, you God. know word of mouth. The square root of 69 is eight something. Right? Because I've been trying to work it out. Go to jail, uh, Drake. Go directly to jail. I'm alive in the nighttime. Yeah. Okay, away we go. Looking for a guy, the food in work. Well, then also we get to those big sing songy OOs. That's that's the signature thing of like the you know yeah. the late aughts, yeah, early the, tens is the yeah. like the non lumineers sing- syndrome. That is a very uh, it, well. I think it's also like uh, another thing that that. Uh, comes out of this is like repetition is bigger. You got to keep doing the same things over and over. Yeah, so again. people will like them. Yes, exactly. So, uh, but that's uh, <laughs> extremely interesting. It's, I mean, it's funny. It seems so seamless, but just think about, okay, put yourself in Esther Dean's shoes yeah. and they have the track to what's my name, mm-hmm. but you 
it's not written yet. It's just the verse. Yeah, yeah. How would you pull that like that melody and those words and that mood makes so much sense with that beat, but like not everyone can do that. I can't. I certainly. can't. I, mean, I wish I could. I'd be I making more to money. Make little songs. The things that always eludes me is any kind of uh, melody or uh, yeah, melody over or vocal line. You got to send your beats to a song factory. I bet you could pay a pretty penny and Estradine would find a melody in there for you. Maybe one day I'll save up and get one um, uh, Estradine vocal line. One cash it in for one Estradine token. Yeah. One Estradine buck. Uh, and I mean, I think when you think about, you know, 2000s songs, I think there's a lot of maybe not so nice or not as nice things you could say about them in terms of like, what does it all mean? Like where you, it all kinds of sounds the same. It's all being sort of condensed to the same, you know, yeah, five the, or so moods or feelings. Because there's a lot of other stuff going on here that we're not talking about, which is like the rise of like digital audio workstations and mm-hmm. stuff. And just like, uh, you know, kind of how that, if people really want to lean into it, like limits the amount of Sonic options or people can choose to have limited Sonic options because they're literally like working on what comes in the box of like right. logic pro or whatever. Right. Stuff like that. Which if we ever do perfecting sound forever, we can talk about that, yeah. you know, and we, we get should. into the lo- loudness wars and things like that. Yeah. Um, that compress, you know, this is how like technology influences the songwriting just as much as, you know, style yeah. and the literal people doing it yeah. are affecting it. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, 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 there's, there's good and bad. Like some of these songs I, I genuinely like and some I'm kind of like, eh, this seems like basically the same stuff as what yeah. came prior before. The, I mean, what the factory approach is, is that Esther Dean in a day and uh, John Seabrook document, like pro- profiles one of these days is she'll just go in the booth and she'll do this for like 20 or 30 songs. That's the factory. Yeah. People will be like, I don't know, here's five beats in a row. Yeah. If just, you don't, if it's not working, we'll move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. You might come out of the day with like two good songs, but those songs are not nearly good enough. You know, yeah. you just do it over and over and she'll do it for a chorus and then someone else will, you know, she'll pass it on to do the verses or whatever. And I'm sure, especially in the, um, or I would assume, especially in like Atlanta and the Southern music industry that it's like all these tracks get floating around and there'll be like a track with no verse on it, but Esther Dean maybe has a chorus on it. And yeah. maybe you pass that off to like, I don't know, future or somebody is yeah. like, yeah, I'll do, I'll, I'll turn this into a future song and I'll wrap over this and then, yeah. you know, get somebody else to fill it, do act, do the like pro, you know, the celebrity sing, singing spot for yeah. basically the chorus on this or whatever. Like all these things are just tracks floating around. Yeah. And it, that's why everyone now has mixtapes. Yeah. Instead of albums. Right. There's no, everyone has mixtapes or, or Lord forbid, a, a, a playlist. playlist. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, of course, my favorite is a visual album, of course. <laughs> well, I would that, prefer like 12 music videos, please. Yes. Preferably I would prefer by the Beyonce. Maximum <laughs> amount of work that you could put into a music release. Yeah. I, I mean, that's why people can say what they want about Beyonce, but she is giving us, she's serving us quality. Yes. Uh, it, it, seven people each might write those songs, mm-hmm. but. I mean, there's a whole product being created with it uh, yeah. that cannot be replicated in any kind of factory because the X factor re is Beyonce. Uh, so yeah, we talked last time about like vessels, right? These, uh, right. these teen pop people that are like vessels to be filled. And now everyone's a vessel, right? Like a beat is a vessel to be full filled with a hook. Yeah. And a uh, Rihanna is a vessel to be filled with hits. Yes. And then she can then, you know, start a, 
beauty line and a lingerie line. <laughs> sure. And then those bras are vessels to be filled with boobs. Yes. <laughs> of, all, of all sizes. Of as many sizes of boobs as you can imagine. Yeah, sure. Anyway, this is, I don't know. I, I'm getting off topic. Uh, well, it's all, what, what you're saying is that everything is moving just to being more and more product more and more product because more and more everything content. needs to be streamlined because yes. record labels are not making as money as much money as they used to and oh boy oh boy those top of the heap record uh executives they need to keep making money don't they yes they do give them the money <laughs> uh so one one kind of a uh, down uh side one kind of downside of that factory songwriting is that you get songs that are often sounding a little similar. Mm -hmm. For example, uh, there's the song Halo by Beyonce, which sounds kind of similar to the song Already Gone by Kelly Clarkson. Could you play a little side by side? This is Halo. This This is Halo by Beyonce. really need to listen to a minute to to get the sense of it remember those walls i built well baby they're tumbling down and they didn't even put up a fight they didn't even make the sound (laughs) that note is very low sound We'll, get, we'll try to get to the, the chorus. I got my angel now. It's like I've been awakened. Every rule I had you breaking. It's the risk that I'm taking. I ain't never gonna shut you out. Everywhere I'm looking now. I'm surrounded by your embrace. Baby, I can see your halo. Sure. All right, so what's the Kelly Clarkson song? Already Gone. All right. Uh, Not quite the same chord progression, but kind of similar. Certainly got the same vibe. Oh, wow. This is the One Republic guy. Are you familiar with One Republic? I mean, I know about the group, but I don't know anything about the background. I don't know much about them either, but he's in it. Ah. That's a weird vocal production choice for Kelly Clarkson. Makes her sound awful. If this, if the lyrics were like a little raunchier, this almost sounds like this could have been something that like Miley Cyrus sang. Yeah. It's like the fist held high thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I get what he's saying. Yeah. Baby, I can see your halo. Cinemas fade away. Yeah. 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 It's all there. That's what part, that's when you have the machine. Things things happen. Uh, let's move on to a different artist than Kelly Clarkson or Rihanna. 
Let's talk about Katy Perry. Oh, yes, please. Because Esther Dean uh, also wrote a, a shit uh, ton of stuff for Katy Perry as well. And uh, Katy pop, Perry is... Pop uh, music's current favorite sad clown. I was going to say the, the number one clown of pop music <laughs> yes, right exactly. now. Because uh, I'm assuming Justin Bieber is like taking a little time yeah. <laughs> No, Justin Bieber is a little bit of a clown. You have to admit. Um, but Dr. Luke, I am Pegliach Perry. <laughs> Um, so, uh, Katy Perry benefited, uh, deeply from the partnership of Dr. Luke and Max Martin. So Max Martin, uh, you know, has at that point through Kelly Clarkson uh-huh. t- taken a foothold back into pure pop songwriting for Excellent. normal people. And again, if we're tracking that, that wave of prop progress, I would say that the late two thousands is pure pop. Yes. 100%. Uh, I'm just, I'm like thinking in my head, I'm like, what is the most pure pop song? And I'm like, I feel like it's Nicki Minaj starships. That's a pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that song is insane. Uh, so Katy Perry, I feel like her story is pretty well known. She was, did Christian shit for a while. Yeah. She got on Daughter the, uh, of pastors. Uh, she got on the, um, uh, warp tour circuit and then like ported over to doing pop songs. Katy Perry she has had a, a lot of do overs. She has a cat named Kitty, Kitty Purry, Purry, which she's, is the thing about her. I like the most. She's about to have Orlando Bloom's baby. Congratulations to her. Uh, uh, big ups to, to the, the Bloom Perry's, the Bloom Perry's. It's just funny. Cause that pairing is so funny. Cause it must be funny for Katy Perry being married to Orlando Bloom now because she is exactly the age where she must have had a huge crush on Lega Loss in like 2001. Yeah, who didn't? Exactly. Not me. I mean, <laughs> maybe I did. I don't know. Yeah, probably. Um, so yeah, she, she's been dropped from labels like four times. Like she had her failed Christian career. She tried, she came back as, okay. So I think I talked about them last episode, but the matrix, which is a trio of songwriters who wrote songs for people like a trio of great movies. Hey, uh, uh, they, they wrote for like Avril Lavigne and and shit. They were kind of like rock pop rock songwriters. God damn it. I just pulled up what Katy Perry. Cause I knew on Spotify, cause I knew we would be listening to her songs. And the fucking promo image of her in the sad clown costume is so fucking funny and not for the reasons that she wants. Who signed off? Who's who? She needs she a better the, manager. She's the, the pop star who's every who has made the most bad decisions. She's taken a huge ever. amount of L, like L, low like, key L's. Not even low key L's. It's like literally every time it's like Katy Perry's back and everybody hates it. Yeah. Yeah, Katy Perry is the the thanks I hate it of, yes. of pop stars. But talk about every eighteen months. Every eighteen months, there's another Katy Perry song that you're like, well, I guess this is a number one hit now. And yeah, kind of but not rec- not recently. She's I like a, that, she's in a um, drought. The only one I really like is that uh, dark dark horse dark horse song, which has um fuck is it Juicy J? I think so. Yeah, is that the one that some people say no to Ratchet Pussy Juicy J can't. <laughs> I, I don't think know. that's Is a that different song, but that's I, that's heroic. That's a beautiful. <laughs> Some people can. Say, <laughs> thank you for admitting that, Juicy J. Honestly, uh, yeah. So she, um, the Matrix, yes, had an ill-advised attempt to become a pop rock band of their own with Katy Perry as the front woman, and it did not go well. It was not good. Uh, so they were they produced for Avril Lavigne, and they were like, "We're just going to be a band. They were going to do like dunce." But instead of DNCE, but yes. instead of getting one of the Jonas's to front them, we're going to be. Let's well, find a cute girl. We're going to find Katy Perry. Kind of okay. sing. Yeah. And that that was bad. Um, no one liked it. <laughs> they were dropped from whatever label that they were on. 
and then yeah, then she her kind of final form was like scene scene kid turned pinup girl, basically. Yeah. Where she was like this kind of like LA uh gutter trash <laughs> who started shooting whipped cream out of out of out her, her titties, tits. Yeah. As you do. And uh offered to be like, I don't know, what do you want? I'll make out with a chick. You guys like that? She's I don't want to insult Lady Gaga by saying this, but she's almost like Lady Gaga for babies. Yes. She's like uh veggie like Lady Gaga veggie tales. <laughs> yeah, she's basically Lady Gaga. Like, yeah, it's not uh it's I, I I like I like um what's the song that I like of hers? Uh Teenage Dream. That's a great, That's a great pop, pop song. song. That is a, a legit pop song. But she's never she's never been my my main bitch and I'm like truly I'm wondering who her stands are, but whatever. Anyway, so she that that's the iteration that she ends up with, which is yeah, like I kissed a girl. Can we listen to I kissed a girl? Yeah, let's listen to I kissed a girl. Great. It's just like yeah, the the lady doth insist too much. There's no subtext with Katy Perry. It's all text. I guess I like that these are like kind of rocky. Yeah. This was the era where you could put electric guitar in a rock song as long as it was an electric guitar playing one low note. Like one to two notes. Like that one Miley Cyrus song that also has the guitar that's like... Yeah. I also like the single note synth bass line. Yeah, this sounds like it could be a late 80s song yeah. um like by i, I don't actually know. now that i'm get really seriously like considering a Def it, Leopard song? Yeah. now that i'm seriously considering it i actually really like the uh production on this yeah all right well i know we're skipping ahead an album but just a really bold move to come out with a song called teenage dream when you're 26 <laughs> caroline calloway vibe <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is this is a um, Dr. Luke, Max Martin co-production. Honestly, here's they, the thing. They got the stuff. They got the hits, baby. If you if you lock me in the studio and we're like, come up with a pop song, this is probably what a pop song that I would write, like the instrumentation <laughs> on it would sound like. Yeah. Synth bass lines, little guitar-y things, hyper-rhythmic live drums. Yeah. I just I need to lead in. I need to lean in and make my Katy Perry songs. <laughs> She'll take them at this point. I would hope. <laughs> She'll take whatever she can get. I mean, look. If I could get in the room with her and just be like, "Look, Katy Perry singing over James Murphy beats." Eh? 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 It just. I mean, Lady Gaga's had a long road to where she is now, and there were some missteps. Like, I don't think we were ready for art pop. And honestly, no one was ready for Joanne either. Uh, get, I would say give it another 18 months and you're going to get a lot of Joanne style albums from the pop girls. Sure. A lot of like, uh, you know, sensitive rock shit. But uh, like she she rode the wave and she came out on the other side. And Katy Perry is just so lost in like cheese. <laughs> she is. She is, uh, to borrow a phrase from uh, Blank Check, swimming in the river of ham. She's, <laughs> that is, yeah. She can't like, I, you, I'm not saying that people need to grow up. You never need to grow up, honestly. Um, keep your sense of childlike wonder. 
uh, as Martina McBride would say, <laughs> you need in, f- I hope you dance. You got to find a lane though. Cause it's, she is just swerving all over the highway. It's just like she, she did. I'm, I'm sorry that I feel like I'm, we're flooding this, this podcast episode with Katy Perry hate, but swish swish, which was, I think from <sighs> maybe two damn. years ago. I barely remember that song. Well, cause the song wasn't that good. It didn't really have any hooks. And then, to top it off, every once again, nothing subtext, everything's text. So she's like, swish, swish. Why don't we do a basketball themed like live performance where my tits are basketballs and yeah. like I everyone is dressed like a like a sexy ref. It's awful. <laughs> it's well, burlesque is over, dude. It's over. Yeah, it, it is. had its, it's moment. Because Katy Perry, like in her public thing, is it's like it's, she's always thinks that she's like overthinking things and underthinking things because it's like everything is some seems to be like a giant reinvention. Yeah, and that's the thing that I liked about uh, uh, Dark Horse is like, ah, oh, maybe I can sing over like trap beats now. And I'm like, I don't know. This sounds kind of cool. Yeah. But then like the presentation of it is always like so first idea. She was a she's like, what if I'm a Cleopatra? Yeah. What? What? Yeah, exactly. Swish, swish. Wonder if I'm literally a basketball. Literally a basketball. <laughs> <laughs> I can't like, come on. There's no one in the room who is like, can, maybe we can not do one more. Perry. Let's do one more draft of this. I can't. I just... I'm, yeah, the the difference between like Lady Gaga swinging from a rope at the Grammys in 2009, like covered in blood and being like, this is fucking awesome. And then Katy yeah. Perry being like, look at my tits are cupcakes. And it's like, <laughs> that's awesome right now. But you can't your tits can't be cupcakes and then basketballs yeah. and then, uh you know, planets and it, then other be- round beach balls things. during her uh, fucking Super Bowl thing. What is that awful? um Twitter meme that's like alt right guys or tit guys and like leftists or ass guys. Sure, yeah. <laughs> because alt right guys are like baby. <laughs> I can't. Well, I mean, <laughs> anytime anybody brings that up, the it's always from ass guys who are trying to uh uh ass guys or women trying trying to be like uh it is the unsophisticated palate prefers the boob, but the sophisticate, the intellectual, the man with taste, taste the, the, the and preferences is always an ass man. I see, I see. Uh, but yeah, no, K- Katy Perry is boob. It's, it's she's just tit energy. <laughs> she is big tit energy. And maybe she has big tit energy. And as someone who doesn't have big tits, like maybe I'm just, maybe I'm just bitter. Uh, I don't know. Mine would be less like, of a I don't know. basketball, I kinda, more of a I'm always, I'm always kind of like trying to root for her, but she just keeps she coming out. She doesn't make it easy <laughs> to root for her. She doesn't make it because she come, just comes out and was like, how about this? And I'm like, I'm sorry. It still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> you give me so many chances. Come on. I'll, it, I'll let you do it again. She, Come back with she, something else. It's just Katy Perry in a room coming out in different kinds of bras. You like volleyballs? No, no. Katy Perry. Get back in there. Just wear a normal bra. Be normal. Do a good song. <laughs> do a good song and wear right. a normal outfit. I got it. This time they're bumblebees. <laughs> oh, You've been doing no. this for a decade. It's, it's just, you just have to evolve beyond. Anymore. You have to evolve beyond the, the bra. Like, there's got to be something else there. Everyone else can do it. You can do it too. Anyway, we're talking about producers. Who produced I Kissed a Girl? <laughs> Fucking Max Martin and, oh, yeah, and, Max Luke, Martin. Yes, and Dr. Okay. Luke. So, and they also did, that was off her uh, first album called One of the Boys, which is such a, you know. One of the boys. I'm not like the other girls. I'm not like the other girls. I'm one of the boys. I'm not like the other girls. I'm a boy. I'm a boy. Uh and they also they produced a shit ton of things on I think her second and third album too. Anyway, now now she has been going whatever. Uh, Katy Perry. Ah, we obviously had a lot we need to get off our chest. We did, ah. I didn't about Katy Perry. What if I'm a sexy nurse? No, Katy Perry. No. Uh, 
Dr. Luke wanted, he wasn't content to just be writing these bangers for these huge pop girls. He wanted one of his own. Okay. Uh, so he founded his own. collect one. He founded his record label, which is called Kimosabi Records. Uh. Uh, and he's like, I can't just write for someone. I want someone who, you know, it's the, it's the Mad Men. Finally, something beautiful you can truly own. Yes. That, okay, great. That is what, sure. That yes. is what he wanted. And he found it in uh, Kesha. Uh, and I should preface all of this by saying that John Seabrook wrote this book and specifically wrote this segment of the book before Kesha's allegations of uh, sexual assault and general abuse against Dr. Luke came out. So uh, he doesn't quite cover things from that angle. Right. But like there's little just hints of stuff. So whatever. I'll, I'll lay cards on the table. Uh, huge Kesha fan. And Love honestly, Kesha. Uh, Kesha was kind of the thing that brought me in from the cold of my pop snobbery yeah you know i was talking about like i wasn't really listening to pop music in like 2006 yeah by like 2009 kesha and lmfao in their brazen stupidity but like undeniable and especially for me the big synth hooks yeah i was like this is how i learned to stop worrying and love the pop question for you do you think that that coincided with being able to drink legally in the sense that it was it's party music and you were finally able to party. I don't think so. It was really something more like I just I couldn't deny the the the, the goofiness of it. It wore you down. It, it wore me down. But it was that it was so overtly goofy. That was the thing that that where everything else was like this is so goofy and it's trying to be so serious. And then especially Kesha and LMFAO, I'm like, oh, th- th- we're just having fun now. Yeah. It was a, a cheeky. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, that makes sense. So Dr. Luke, uh, he is listening to people's tapes, uh, demo tapes, trying to find his person. He finds one from Kesha. It includes, she sent it to him when she was 18 years old, including a, it had a bizarre rap uh, about being from Nashville. Uh, I, don't, <laughs> I don't know if this exists anywhere in public, but like she this persona she has of being kind of like an obnoxious white girl. Yeah. Sort of maybe like adopting some hip hop swagger while also being like a pop person. Yeah. That was like, that wasn't molded. That was like kind of her natural stuff. Um, I I don't think you end up radioactive core. I don't think you end up with a first album person presenting like Kesha unless there is some essential Kesha-ness, which is, kind of breaking the fucking mold of what we've been talking about of everybody being a vessel. Yeah. She, I think she is not a vessel. She's, I think her own person with a, an attitude and a a point of view. So she, Dr. Luke offered her a contract to sign to Kimosabi records. It was, uh, she had a a lawyer friend look at it and it was reportedly worse than the one Lou Pearlman made with the Backstreet Boys. Jesus Christ. So Dr. Luke, good on fucking her for getting a lawyer to look at the, she had a lawyer look at it, but, she spent another year with a different manager trying to find a deal mm-hmm. and nothing worked out. And so she signed with Dr. Luke with, without any changes on the contract. I don't think any significant ones. Um, she tried her best and it didn't work out. And that fucking sucks. And she wanted it and she wanted it. That's the thing. The pop stars always want it. And that's where you, it can, you can explore people because they want it so bad. That's the thing I was going to bring up earlier is that, you know, we were talking about the thing that makes somebody a star. We were talking about in the context of what makes somebody a star is that they want it, but it also makes somebody easy to fuck fuck around with. Especially in in the current you know American system right. with no no social safety net whatsoever. Um, 
so she she signs with Dr. Luke and uh, she gets pulled. The, her breakthrough is right round, uh, which is where we started this which episode. Which is where we started. Uh, we have caught up with the media res. The media res has been caught up and this is 2009. Um, so she at this point, she signed to Dr. Luke, mm-hmm. but um, they have to track her down because they have at this point what is apparently a, an incredibly lame mix of Flo Rida singing this song. They brought literally John Seabrook reports. They brought like a a stripper that everyone liked into the <laughs> studio. They brought a stripper into the studio and played her, the song at the top, like at its current status. And she was like, this is so corny. This sucks. No one is going to dance to this. And they're like, okay, we need to fix it. Get that stripper on staff. <laughs> the, the, I hope oh, she probably didn't get a writing credit. She should have gotten, gotten a one. writing credit for being like, I would excuse me, gentlemen, I would not strip to this. Also, I mean, at least in uh, Atlanta, like strip clubs in Atlanta are a place where you break it, songs. Yes. That's an incubator for music. And uh, there should be a, fi- there's, there should be a, a, a dancer fi- yeah, finders, finders fee, fee because they are the ones who are account, a, a council of strippers. Uh, if you, you got to get you got to get two out of three yeses on wood strip to to get that song published. Otherwise, back to the drawing board, baby. Uh, so anyway, the strippers like this right round sucks. Please fix it or otherwise I won't shake my ass to it ever <laughs> again. And so they're like, oh, I don't know. What can we do? Like is Kesha around? And so at the time she was living out of two cars teeming with fast food wrappers, cheap headphones, and garbage bags full of clothes. She had to be wrangled into the studio where she was found. uh, They found her at a rental house in Echo Park known as the Drunk Tank. (laughs) So she was living. She was living in. She was living it. I do. See, this is what I appreciate that she is genuinely kind of a rat person, (laughs) but in a cool, fun way. I mean, she was like 18. It's right. She was doing she was doing L.A. singer shit. Uh, She came into the studio. She sang her song a mm-hmm. uh, bit of the song. It was great. Mm-hmm. It kind of fixed the song. Did she get a songwriting credit? No. no. Why Did she get paid at all for this? That was, this I don't even know. She, I, I don't even know if she got paid. Like she might've literally not got like, what are they going to do? Pay her like a day rate as a session vocalist. But this is also so fucking complicated because she's literally just singing the melody for right round. But it's the way she sang it. Uh, are you playing it? Yeah. I don't know if the, there's a special version that has Kesha. No, it's, it's, I don't even think she's credited. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's not even featuring. No, it's right round, flow rider. God, no, just, no mention for of Kesha. Kesha. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And by the end of the song, you already like it because you already heard the song yeah, four times within the song. <laughs> and you've already heard this song before. That's what pop music is. It's something you've heard before. Pop, pop music in a, in a nutshell is, oh, that song? Yeah. yeah. I like that song. You go down, down. One more time. I like that, that weird, uh, like, descending bass modulation on Kesha's voice is, like, weirdly her signature of that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that that was kind of her breakthrough, and then they got her some other songs, including TikTok. I feel like we have to listen to TikTok, which is just TikTok is to me 
an instant classic. Yes. Instant pop classic. And you know what? It has fucking personality because that's the difference between all these other Katy Perry. Like we were talking about the Britney Spears songs and Britney Spears being a vessel. Obviously those became iconic through her, but none of those songs have any like kind of personal importance to Britney Spears. No. Like anybody could sing maybe one more time that that is not about Britney Spears wanting to be called again by some specific person. Yes. Nobody else could say could no, one, no one else could do TikTok. could credibly sing TikTok. No, that's so true. Like even Which if you're trying to shop it around, maybe Miley for like two years in 2013. Even, but even then, that was like old, old school. Well, Kesha walked so Miley could run. Absolutely, or that era Miley. Because now era apparently Miley. she wants. I don't know what Miley's. I don't know. Favorite. I don't know what Miley wants. All right, here we go. <laughs> Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, Grab my glasses, I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city Let's before go. I leave. Brush my teeth with, with a, a bottle, bottle of Jack. Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking pedicure on our toes, toes. Trying on all our clothes. crunchy that, that, that crunchy the drums. Drop top and playing our favorite CD. I mean, this also sounds like all the instruments are kind of produced on toys, which is yeah, that's so true. Yeah, it's I, I don't know, it's just something about this song that even though I we're talking about it in the context of like big pop production stuff, it's something about the cashiness of it, the production, the goofy sound that it affects some kind of like indie electronic group energy. Yeah. Like it's almost like a hyper polished version of like gravy train or something. Yeah. Or like in a different uh, world. Who's that? Like this could be like a Fisher Spooner song or, or something. Or a Peaches song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is also the to- it's the the prediction of the total collapse of genre because yeah, yeah. is this a hip hop song? Like is it electronica? Rap? Song? Is it electronica? You mix it on is the it, dance floor. Yeah. Like, it's a, it's everything. It's nothing. I gotta play at least until we get the tipsy part. Monster hooks, great. Love this song. Whoa! Oh! That's TikTok. We love it. Folks, we love t- the TikTok. Oh, we love it. Um, so that was obviously huge. Apparently, at one point, that was the uh, biggest selling digital single ever. Sure. That makes sense. I mean, that's one of the biggest selling digital singles is like one of those stats that gets broken like every two months sure. just because more and more people have access to it all the time. Yes. Uh with her second album, this is where I just get, you know, sort of personally sad. She basically wanted to get, she did the like sloppy party pop thing, but then she wanted to get away from that. And mm-hmm. she literally went on record at the press as saying, it is my mission to resurrect rock and roll in the form of my pop music. She wanted to make a rock record. And I she heard tried. you were throwing out your sequencers and trying to make a rock record. You want to make something real. You want to make something real. You want to make a Joan Jett record. Uh, so, she, she, that's what she wants to do mm-hmm. and she's trying to do it and then I don't know whether the songs aren't good or if Dr. Luke is really just pressuring her to like go with what works yeah. but it took forever for her second album to even come out and then when it did it was you know shit like Timber with Pitbull which is again just 
it's kind of TikTok part two. It's all the same like apocalyptic, yeah. You know, let's partying at the end of the world, pour champagne yeah, all yeah. over each other until we all die, which is fine. It's great, yeah. But uh, I, the, honestly, she wanted the, the to the do song, something else. Yeah, the songs on these are are good. Uh, <laughs> that would be Cannibal, her second album, right? Yeah. Yes. Uh, Blow rocks. We are who we are. Rocks. I mean, I, I would rather. I would love to hear the rock album that you wanted to do, but, but and hopefully so we still there. can someday. Um, and then so it started kind of bubbling up that uh, it, I think it was a fan movement at first that was like hashtag free Kesha. Uh-huh. Um, in the sense that like songs weren't really coming out. Uh, she wasn't touring. I don't think. Mm-hmm. Uh, then it was announced that she was going to rehab, which she said she went or she went to rehab for an eating disorder that uh, happened because she said Dr. Luke was calling her fat. Oh, God. So it all kind of, you know, everything fell apart when she, and I think she and her mother basically sued Dr. Luke being like, you've abused and exploited me. And he countersued being like, you've defamed me by saying I did that mm-hmm. stuff. And then they were all tied up in these contracts and it lasted, it was a legal battle that lasted years uh, that she finally, I believe, extracted herself from because she was basically trapped on his label. Right. And it wasn't until... 2017. Last, oh, oh, I was going to say last year. That's when Praying year. comes out. Yeah. So... And honestly, I feel bad. She has a new album out this year, 2020, called High Road. I need to check this out. Shit. Absolutely. <laughs> the... I, you know, this is all alleged, blah, blah, blah. But like, I, I believe this happened to Kesha. Yes. And I believe it happened because she signed a contract when she was 18 that allowed this guy she tried to get she, her, she tried yeah. to yeah. get out of and this guy you know i think the abuse as, and john seabrook says it's funny he says if there's any good to come out of kesha's struggle with dr luke it is the light that is thrown on the plight faced by young women who go into the music business hoping to be artists one could argue that forcing teenagers to sign six album contracts which is standard Im- industry practice is itself abusive yes so like you know beyond anything that happens kind of on an interpersonal level which obviously i'm sure that happens all the time with young women and older producer men uh it is abusive to lock teenagers into long punitive contracts yes with like completely exploitative terms yeah um, I'm just, I'm always going to think about the Backstreet Boys getting that $35 per diem. Uh, sync got the $35 per diem. Backstreet Boys were sharing hotel rooms uh, sharing at hotel. the height NSYNC. of their fame. Yeah. But yeah, it's, uh, and also having to go out to dinner with, um, investors in, in yeah. Blue Perlman's businesses. Oh, uh, I'm, I think that there's still time for Kesha to have. Yes. A second act. She's 33 years old. She's yes. still, I mean, I'm like, and I'm as, like, she's still young. I say, I'm like, thirties are still young. Uh, and as we're saying, she is one of the people from this era who definitely has their own personality. Yes. So. And the other thing. And she sold like, even though it was in a punitive contract, she sold like a billion fucking albums and singles in the early 2000s. She's got it. She still has cred. Yes. Let's listen to Raising Hell off of her 2020 album, High Road. Great. Good line. That's yeah. like a country. Line, that's yeah. like a country music 
Okay. Did Diplo produce this? Uh, I don't know. It's Dick Freedia is the guest on it. Okay. <laughs> uh, no, nobody we've talked about has produced this. Okay. Who, who produced it? Int. I don't know who that is. Intaney. Wonderful. With Omega and Daramola. Right. Yeah, of course. Anyway, these songs are good. These are, it's, I, I mean, it's, especially in her post, like getting out of the contract era, I'm, I'm impressed with her ability to like fuse that kind of like damaged emotionality with her mm. classic pop, like, like spitting liquor in your face, bounce pop. <laughs> Apparently she she's the child of a singer songwriter named uh, Rosemary Patricia Peeb Siebert, who uh, co wrote the nineteen seventy eight single "Old Flames Can't Hold a Candle to You," which uh, was made popular by Dolly Parton in nineteen eighty. So she's from you know country music songwriting and Dolly Parton. Her mom's old friend Dolly Parton guested on her twenty seventeen album "Rainbow." Great. Oh, singing "Old Flames." Great. Singing the song her mom. Um, I love Dolly Parton. Uh, but here's what's fucked up. Here's what's incredible is that uh, at the end of this book, they basically. Also, I'm sorry. Also on uh, Kesha's 2017 al- album, Rainbow, Terror Survi- features guest by uh, Terror Attack Survivors, Eagles of Death, me- Death Metal. Oh, wow. On the track Boogie Feet. So, I mean, I'm glad that she's extending the invitation to other uh, victims of, of drama. <laughs> victims of, Tra- of tra- trauma, 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 yeah. trauma. I'm like, yeah, that, that was, that, that was drama. That was some serious drama. Serious tea. Uh, the fucked up thing is that at the end of this book, uh, I can't remember who says it, but someone is basically like, you know, regardless of the lawsuit, which the lawsuit, uh, against him by Kesha was thrown out by a judge, mm-hmm. um, as these lawsuits often are. And he said, uh, Dr. Luke is a- as that name is done. Fast he forward started- a couple of years. And uh, the song Say So by Doja Cat gets super popular because of a TikTok dance craze. Uh, who produced Say So? Someone named Tyson Trax, T-R-A-X. Who's Tyson Trax? Dr. Luke. He still can't resist having like a hype producer name. Tyson Trax. That's awful. It's like way worse than Dr. Luke. Yeah. Uh, so he's not. And I think and people, this was, people got mad. And this was, of course, the origin of the Doja's canceled party, right? The origin of the Doja's cancel party is when she said some anti-trans stuff. Oh, okay. and then there was a second Doja's canceled party about working with Dr. Luke, and I think there was a third Doja's canceled party because she was saying some weird Nazi shit with like alt right guys on some weird chat. Site. Oh, chat app, yeah, yeah. Oh, I, d- I look, I, I side eye Doja Cat. <laughs> I side eye her hard. My eyes strain at the sides. Yes, I don't know. I just don't like her music that much. Whatever. Um, so Dr. Luke is still around. He's still making money and he's still making music. Ugh. Anyway, all the best to, to Kesha, all the worst to Dr. Luke. Dr. Luke. Uh, eternal cheers to Kesha. Eternal jeers to Dr. Luke. Eternal jeers. So then the book kind of wraps up, you know, uh, Max Martin is at his 1100th number one. He's not even at the end of his road there. He eventually starts how, working. How old is Max Martin right now? 49. Uh, yeah, 49. Yeah. He could conceivably be making number one hit songs for another 25 years. 
30 years. Oh, yeah. As, as long as he's got the, his finger on the, the pulse. Mm-hmm. Um, he, at, at the time of the end of the book, he's about to partner with Taylor Swift for writing a bunch of songs on her album, 1989. Which turned out to be huge. Which turned out to be huge. But the thing about, the thing that Don, John Seabrook noted is that for the first time, Taylor Swift songs sounded like they could have been written by anyone. anyone. That, but that is the thing about Taylor Swift is that she she at least remains involved in their creation. Yes. And I don't know. Ta- we'll, we'll eventually, we'll have to talk about Taylor Swift at some point. We, we have to, to talk, talk about, about Taylor. Taylor. Yeah. Um, and just to tie things up into a neat bow is that the boy at the beginning of the book, who, as we remember, this is John Seabrook's son, mm-hmm. who is obsessed with pop music and they listen to it in the car. The boy has now been uh, pillaging John Seabrook's classic rock iTunes library. Oh, yeah. Because that is the way of all children. The thing that you like when you are a boy is the thing that you're like, oh, I didn't like that anymore. <laughs> I I don't like Kesha. I like the Beatles. <laughs> and then in like four years, he'll get drunk at a party and be like, honestly, Kesha this does kind of go. Kesha does whip. When a Kesha so- song fucking comes on, it, it, uh, in our kids' college, it'll be like when fucking Like a Virgin came on when we were uh, oh, in college. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. that That's time. What is a man but time and his juices? Time and juices. Uh, and that's the story, that's the story of, of, pop of pop songwriting. Pop songwriting. <laughs> uh, so, how do you how do you how do you feel? Where do you think we are? What is the state of pop production? In I mean, some it's ways, it's messier great. than. It. And you know what the thing that one thing that this book does leave out yeah. is the sudden rapid rise and in influence of electronic music production, EDM. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, there's definitely areas that are you know sort of shunted by the wayside. I don't I don't think the about of race is like totally complete in yeah. this because I do think that there's something to be said. There's there's a little bit in the book I mean, about it's kind of like the merge of basically R, you know R and B and Euro pop, the two mm-hmm. kinds of pop. You know, one is more. Can we should people even be saying urban anymore? What yeah. does that mean? Black, black. Well, y- yes, but like huh, urban, the streets of Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. The- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh yeah, look basically the the synthesis of like Europe white European music and black American music is totally complete. Yes. It's uh it's seamless. You yes. can't even tease them apart anymore. What yeah. is a hip hop song? Is well, it Katy Perry's Dark Horse? Yes. Is it TikTok? Yeah. Is it uh a post Malone song? And most hit hip hop songs are pop songs. It, At this like point, completely yeah. pop songs. Yeah. Yeah. I said I mentioned Nicki Minaj earlier. Nicki yeah, Minaj is exactly as much of a pop artist as she is a, a hip hop artist. Right. The, I think the main takeaway that I got from reading this book about pop songwriting is it's crazy that these are basically, it's a factory. It's coming off of an assembly line mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. And it just makes something so much more. Um, what's the word? It makes the random special stuff seem even more special, like old town road. Yes. Or like yeah, even I mean, like Billie yeah. Eilish and her brother. Like it's just so funny that something that could take four professionals with 80 years of songwriting experience in between them, 20 days to write at like four different times that could just be like some kids afternoon. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why songwriting is amazing. I was getting caught up there trying to talk about hip hop because I was even like trying to figure out like wh- who is the top rapper to reference right now. Mm-hmm. So I went to the, the, um, Billboard Top 100 right now. Yes. And holy shit is Juice World having a good good week. 
too have bad the, he's you have fucking the best, dead. You have the best weeks uh, once you're dead, huh? He has... Ain't that the truth? Uh, five songs on the Billboard top, top 10 right now. Holy shit. That's <laughs> insane. Um, but his to- top song is... Number one is the baby. So mm-hmm. I that but you know pop, baby has the baby has pop production. I want to get into that. Two yeah. juice, juice World X Marshmallow. That's probably that's an, Juice World backing by a, a pop EDM art, artist. Yep. Uh then going down the weekend blinding lights, which I believe is produced by fucking Max Martin. Yep. From the, the Wikipedia. He also worked on the weekend's third studio al- album After Hours, contributing five contributions. The album spawned the number one hit, Blinding Lights. Mm-hmm. Number three on the billboard uh right now. Five is Wishing Well by Juice World. Mm-hmm. I don't know Juice World's production background, especially on this album. I know he was kind of like bedroom stuff. The most production that I have is a song where he's rapping over a Sting sample. Once again, the song the that's not that song isn't quite sample as song. It basically does. That's the only thing going on in that song yeah. other than a beat. But the the it's not hook sampled hook as song. No, it's I feel just like I'm not. Like I'm not I don't know part. if I'm being clear enough when I say that. Like the main part You're of the sample is the main part of the song. You're not literally singing. You spin me right yeah. round, baby. Right. Uh, Juice World X Halsey. Halsey, a big uh, pop uh, singer. I mm-hmm. wonder if Max Martin's ever worked with Halsey. No, but you know, yeah, it, that, like all, all of these things are all the same thing. Right. There's no it, at this point. You could basically chop up the the bits of the billboard top 100 shake them in a shaker and spit them back out and they could be paired with opposite or different yeah, things exactly. and it's still basically the same right it could be halsey featuring halsey over a marshmallow yes <laughs> halsey, halsey halsey over with a, marshmallow. To- a nice toasted marshmallow it could be uh, uh just swap out whatever track the juice weekend world, with halsey yeah swap out whatever track juice world is rapping over and throw post malone over it it's fine yeah it's and that's not it's not great. It's not my favorite. I feel like right now I'm not really we talked about the extremes, the doldrums and pure pop. And right now I think we're somehow both in the extremes and the doldrums. It's we're weird. in the extreme doldrums. We're in the mess. We're in the mess. It is. It's 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 a mess. Like everything seems incredibly identity, but everything is also completely the same. Ev- literally anyone could collaborate with anyone else, which is kind of cool. But also it means that everything is like sonically somewhat identical. Yeah. It's funny yeah. that I, I can't remember like Mad Libs pop. I can't remember what I said at the at part one is that there's the California car test, which is when Swedish people would send a CD to California. This is in the in the 90s to play uh, the music and test it in a car driving down a freeway uh-huh. to see if it sounded good. And now I feel like it's like it's the TikTok test. It's like, does this song sound, sound good, good over on t- a on a phone speaker? I'm sure songs are mastered for uh, phone speakers. Let's listen to Come and Go with uh, Juice World with My Bones. <laughs> My Bones. Whoa. Uh. Oh. I try to be everything that I can, but sometimes I come out as being nothing. I try to be everything that I can. But sometimes I come out as being nothing. I pray to God that he make me a better man. <sighs> Maybe one day I'ma stand for something. I'm thanking God that he made you part of the plan. I guess I ain't go through all that hell for nothing. 
This is a Linkin Park song. Yeah. This is this is not to be rude to either one of them, but like this is it's kind of like an emo rap rock song. Yeah. Oh hell yeah! Wait. <laughs> Yeah, I really I mean, like this. I, it's gonna see, have a drop. It's gonna have a drop. Lincoln Park. This is a this Lincoln is, Park song. We are in the extremes. We're in the extremes. But we're in the an extreme where everything is it's each other and everything. I don't. Everything is like sad and happy and weird and. It's strange, and the COVID shit is just going to fuck with everything else ever again because who knows who's making music right now and what kind of music they're making. That's why I was like, I need to like see, go to the Billboard 100 because I haven't like been into a, a public space enough to even know what they're fucking playing right now. It's, that is so true. Yeah. Uh, um, I, haven't, I haven't been in a, in a Forever 21 in yeah, months. Yeah, or taken a lift or, or whatever. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know what fucking music people are listening to. It's it's insane. I'm, no, that is so crazy. No, I mean I'm like I'm saying this as if there aren't people who are going to pool parties right now because there are. There are. But like I think a lot of people right now don't know what music people are listening to. Well, we've gone long as hell on this, but uh, I think it's it, this is a maybe because things are so weird right now. This is a good time <laughs> to to dig into like what even what is pop, what is love? a music what is what's a music what is a music what is a pop more and more people are wondering what's a music <laughs> what is a music and the question uh as time goes on uh gets the answer gets vaguer and vaguer and vaguer but thank you for coming on this journey of uh, pop music production with us eventually we're gonna have to fold on fold electronic music production and edm into this whole story and narrative uh but until then should we move confidently into the end part of this episode? We should move confidently into the end part of this episode. Excellent. Uh, we've got fun stuff coming up here and, and introducing. I believe we are. We have two shows confirmed. Yeah, we we're we're doing some advanced programming for wow, the first time imagine. in a little bit. Uh, if you like musician guests on the show, the next few. I don't know if that teases too much. You should. Uh, Look forward to this. Look, look forward. Look ahead. Because uh, I believe, again, I don't want to tease too much. We're going to be talking to uh, a uh, musician about Mu- other, magician. People's, other people's music uh, that we all like. And another musician about their own music about in their history own music? Uh, that I'm excited to talk to. So these should all be good. Yes. Uh, also, we're on we're on YouTube. Oh, we're on YouTube. We yes. don't have a YouTube URL yet, uh, but we'll put the link in the description. It'll be a long series of weird numbers, but if you can subscribe to that, if we get a hundred followers on our YouTube page, we can get a unique URL and then it'll be like youtube.com slash and introducing or whatever. Yes. Uh, so there will be, there'll be clips posted weekly at some point. Definitely. Uh, yeah. And the goal of the YouTube page is same as the chapo YouTube page, not really to, uh, like build or monetize there, but to just get stuff on YouTube where a lot of people search for things and hopefully people can find things there. So yeah, that'll be fun. And if you have any favorite segments that we've ever done, like 20 minutes or less like clips, yeah, let us know because I want to put shorter stuff up. There. Yeah. Th- clips that, you know, if they existed, you would like share with a friend or something. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. 
As opposed to making them listen to a, how long have we been going on now? Uh, this is edging on two hours, yeah. but it's fine. You're in the part two of an episode. There's no reason not to just g- go buck wild. If you listen to <laughs> puck, part one, you're invested in this story. Yes. Who care? Who care? Forget it, Molly. It's pop music. <laughs> pop music. Uh, talking about pop music. All right, let's sign off. I'm on Twitter at say what again. Molly's on Twitter at Miss Molly Mary currently uh, rated together. Follow me while I'm rated before I become uh, overrated. overrated together. We are on Twitter as the show at and intro pod. You can send us an email at and introducing pod at gmail.com. Our mm-hmm. SoundCloud is as always at soundcloud.com slash and dash intro dash pod. Mm. I haven't mentioned this. Rate review us on iTunes. Yeah. Give us a like. I haven't been there for a while. We'll see how that goes. Or Me I guess neither. iTunes doesn't exist anymore. You have to go into the podcast. Podcast. Fuck off, Apple. And finally, another thing I haven't mentioned forever: tell a friend if you enjoy the show. Yeah. Hey, on one of your Zoom calls or whatever, <laughs> just feel like I've been listening to this thing. It's fun. Yeah. It takes up your time. And if you don't have a, I mean, maybe your dad would like it. It wiles away the mind-numbing sameness of every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and then go listen to uh, Rihanna's SOS. Always. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see you in another two weeks on And Introducing. Introducing.